I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Al Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Al Pellets, uh, this is Brian Myers, Becky Haddad, and Mike Ritalik here by the Al Pellet. And we are lucky to have with us today a, another outstanding guest from Virginia Tech, Hokey Hokey High VPI, Dr. Natalie Ferran. Natalie, welcome to Al Pellet. Hello, thank you for having me. Special bonus points to anybody who can respond on social media what VPI means. Uh, it's been a while since they had that. Uh, so, Natalie, tell us a little bit about the topic for today. Yeah, so today um, we're going to talk about one piece of my dissertation, and this piece of my dissertation focused on um, students' achievement in technical ag concepts, specifically floriculture, as well as their achievement in science. Cool. So... Let's start off here, floriculture. Why did you pick floriculture? Why are we talking about that? Yeah, um, so this goes a little bit back. Um, so I guess for we're in our fifth year now. Um, so I am the assistant director of the Stim It Up, Everything You Need to Know to Get Your Floriculture Curriculum in Bloom. There you go, mouthful. Uh, professional Development Program um, with Kathy DiMenedetto, who is at Clemson. Um, and so that was Kathy's brainchild. Um, like I said, we started this five years ago and it is a content specific um, intensive professional development program that specifically focus on the STEM concepts in floriculture. And so speaking to your question, why floriculture? There's just A, not a lot of research out there about floriculture, especially, um, you know, we have research on plant science and SBAE, but when we talk about floral design or floriculture or production of fresh cut flowers, um, that's just not really out there. But it's also, um, you know, a personal passion and interest of Kathy and I. So we both have um, a background in floriculture and uh, my undergrad degrees in horticulture, I believe Kathy's is as well. And we worked in the the floral um, industry before. I'm actually wearing, y'all can't see it, but I'm wearing my herbology sweatshirt. So shout out to Harry Potter and my love for plants. Um, but yeah, so we started that. Um, we have the professional development program. And then the my dissertation focused on those concepts. So um, sim it up is, like I said, professional development program for teachers. Um, it starts with a three-day in-person conference, and then we have follow-up sessions, and we really highlight um, the STEM concepts that teachers are already teaching. We just help them make those connections. So that's going to be a really important term that I'll probably say a lot today and is in the title of this piece of research, which is um, illumination. And so the best way that I can explain that is we're already teaching what we're teaching, right? We're teaching ag, but we're just shining a light on those concepts and making that connection for our students. Um, so there's three, and I can't take credit for this, um, but there are three levels of science illumination or three types of teachers that are illuminators. So we have a vocational purist who is a teacher that just teaches ag, like straight up, that is what they wanna do. They wanna teach technical ag concepts. Um, one thing that I want to say, obviously, I lean more to the idea of science illumination, um, but there's nothing wrong with technical agriculture. If we're talking about situating our SBAE programs and, and what makes sense for our area or what makes sense for our students, there are lots of programs out there where like vocational purists, that's what we need, right? Our students are, are getting some sort of certification so they can serve the industry in their area. 
All right, so that's one vocational purist. Then we also have um, a type of teacher that's called um, an illumination attempter. So they want to shine that flashlight and make those connections between a technical ag concept or between um, a science or STEM concept, but maybe they don't really know um, all the ag content or they don't know all the science content. So the way I like to explain this is I said I was plant girl earlier. I would be an illumination attempter when it comes to animal science. Animals are not my jam, okay? So if we're talking about genetics or something like that, I will give it my best shot. And I want to try to make that connection, um, you know, to the to the Punnett square for my students that they're learning in biology, but I'm not going to do a very good job of it because I don't really understand all those concepts. Um, but then finally, we have science illumination. And so that's someone that is able to teach the technical ag concepts, in this case, floriculture, fresh cut flower production, but also the science concepts in unison. So if we're talking about something like photosynthesis, Right. That's something that our students have learned over the course of their education. Um, but we're going to talk about how light in our cooler can affect um, plant processes and how that can affect how long our fresh cut flowers live. Right. So we're teaching them, um, you know, a technical concept about keeping fresh cut flowers beautiful for our um, consumers. But we're also bringing in that science and that why. So that's the really important piece is it gives students that why. Not that our students would ever ask, why do I have to learn this, would they? Um, but we're making that connection for them. So I'm sitting here going, okay, well, which one was Ag Teacher Becky? Like, I was like, okay, well, I was probably a vocational purist in welding and I was probably an attempter in like wildlife and plant science. And I was probably doing some illumination and animal science. My students would have been like, hey, dad, you're doing none of those. Um, but when we think about kind of, you know, where, where our teachers fall, like my mind went to, okay, are these like fixed and do people move? But then probably even more so like, you know, you were looking really specifically at floriculture and teaching in like plant science pathways. What does this look like for somebody who's teaching like multiple preps at a time or like kind of where does, where does this fall as far as how teachers kind of have, have skills maybe in each of those, in those areas with where they fall? Yeah, and so I think um, you make a good, you made a really good point, and I'm going to fast forward a little bit to some of my recommendations. Um, but this is more just like an overarching philosophy, right? It's not, um, we're not tied to it. And a lot of teachers are doing this without knowing what the term science illumination is, right? It's just kind of how we view um, what we want our students to learn for our program. Um, so specifically in this study, I looked at three groups. So I looked at teachers who had participated in Sim it Up teachers who had not participated in STEM it up, but had an interest in the program. Um, and then, well, well, the last two groups were both teachers who did not participate and had an interest in the program. Um, so the first group, teachers who did participate, they got a STEM illuminated curriculum. It was one unit for two weeks. Um, they got all the you know lesson plans, the unit plan, the pacing guide, and all the lab sheets, all that good stuff. Um, the middle group who did not participate in the professional development also got that curriculum. And then finally, the third group was just given the same standards and asked to teach them as normal. And so it's kind of a, a, a threefold thing. Um, so if we're fast forwarding to the results, and Becky, I promise I'll come back to your question, but I think it'll make sense in a second. Um, if we're looking at the results, the, the two groups of teachers um, who got the special curriculum, all right, the, the illuminated curriculum, if we'll tell it that, their students had higher achievement so they were given a test at the pre-test and a post-test and a post-post-test. And so overall, the students had higher achievement in both science and floriculture concepts. Um, 
So A group and B group who got that special curriculum, they achieved more than that C group whose teacher just taught it normally, all right? Um, but then even further than that, um, the A group, so the students who got both teachers who had the training and the special curriculum, those students achieved um, the highest. So um, I look at that and what, what we found was that finding a specialized curriculum can be really impactful for our students, but then also specific training on that curriculum for teachers can be really impactful for our students. So Becky, going back to your question, or yeah, your question, um, one of my recommendations is for teachers not to flip their curriculum upside down. Um, like I said, you know, I taught many preps. I wouldn't have been, <laughs> I would not have been um, an illuminator in animal science or even, you know, welding or um, I taught fish and wildlife. I didn't have that content, um, but it can be something as one lesson. If I pick one lesson that I'm really familiar with and I decide to illuminate that one lesson, that is going to be impactful for our students. So yes, we want to change our students' lives. And you know, I, of course, want all students to come out of SBAE and be these ag scientists and everything. But if our students get one connection made between what they're learning in their science class and what they see in ag, and that can make them an informed consumer on the far end, that is the advice I would give teachers. So I think that answers your question. Um, start, start with a little piece and we'll get confidence in ourselves as teachers. Our students will also get confidence in themselves and then we can make bigger impacts later on. So related to that, Natalie, what how, how do I illuminate my curriculum? And you talked about offering teachers this illuminated curriculum. So give us some tips and tricks or some pointers to kind of go to the next level when it comes to illuminating our curriculum. Yeah, so um, obviously we have our professional development program. We believe in this idea of illumination. We tell our teachers about that. Um, so shout out to the SimWidup program. Um, application will be coming out soon. But even further than that, if you, uh, you know, some teachers in some districts don't have the opportunity to seek out these professional developments um, or to go someplace else. So what I would say is find a topic you're really comfortable with and look at those standards and go through and be like, what is something that I'm teaching that I really get? I really get this ag concept, but I also really get the other side of it. And so I specifically looked at um, science illumination. Um, this is not what I tested, but I think we could do it with math illumination. I think we could do it with engineering illumination. You know, if we're doing something, Becky, I'm going to go back to what you were saying about welding. You know, when we're talking about angles, let's specifically bring in those ag concepts or the ag concepts, but also the math concepts and use those geometry words. Like let's use those, you know, different formulas and really show our students, hey, this is what you're doing in math. This is how we're using it here and purposefully make those connections. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my piece of advice is, again, we're not trying to flip everything, okay? So what is something I really feel comfortable in as a teacher, I believe in myself about, um, and what is something I'm already teaching to my students and I can just, decide one day we're going to illuminate. One thing I'd love you to talk a little bit more about is that second group. I mean, we can talk about the fact that we need to find good professional developments and STEM it up is a great program. Definitely promote that. I want to encourage folks to, to, to consider that program, but we teachers can't do, go to all the professional development. We can't, we can't do all those sort of things. But what we can do is be more intentional about the curriculum we we select and the materials that we use. And we've talked a lot of times on this podcast about there is not a uh, a lack of 
quote unquote curriculum materials out there on the web. You can find a gazillion things on on the web as as lesson plans and and, and PowerPoints and that kind of stuff. But based on what you did with the curriculum, you know, that middle group got just the lesson plans. And that proved to be very, very different. What what was what did you do in developing those that solid curriculum to help make it very helpful to teachers? Because we know at other kinds people use materials and we don't see a, a change. We don't see that improvement. So there had to be something about that curriculum design that really was impactful. What do you think the secret sauce there was? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, so being, you know, totally transparent, I created that, you know, with a team of other experts and we revised it over the course of three years. So one of the things that we did was took teacher feedback. Um, you know, we heard from teachers and they were like, Hey, this, this lab doesn't really work this way. This is how I changed it. Um, and so we just did that for ourselves because we wanted a good product for teachers. Um, you know, we, I, we were very specific about like that pacing guide and giving, um, lots and lots of instructions, um, like details that teachers could use. Um, I will say a caveat was, um, I took this data from teachers during the fall of 2020. Um, so that was our first semester back after COVID. Um, so that was a very interesting time to try to work with teachers and students. Um, so in that, in the curriculum, we gave lots of options. You know, if your students are virtual, this is how you can modify this. If your students are half and half, this is how you can modify this. Um, we also looked at the materials and made sure all the materials for labs were common items, you know, that were found. But I think those options were great because um, it displayed differentiation out of necessity. But, you know, I think teachers were able to use those options um, for what fit back fit best for their class. So, so that's one thing that I would say is like, look for flexible curriculum. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily believe that we should ever take any lesson plan and teach it right out of the box. Um, I think something else that we can look for is um, like a, a well-planned out curriculum. So we, of course, use the, the um, national AFNR standards and provided that. Um, we crosswalked that with the um, next generation science standards to show how that illumination was happening. Um, and then I guess my last piece of advice was, would be to also try it. I know that sounds kind of um, like a like a weird curriculum or like a weird suggestion. Um, we had teachers try our curriculum. And again, like I said, we made edits, but just kind of go like go with the flow, right? We're trying something for the first time. Um, if you have the opportunity to provide feedback or write yourself notes, right? We always heard that when we were in our curriculum class in college. When you have a lesson plan, write it on a post-it note and put that post-it note on that lesson. So when you look at it next time, you'll be able to know what didn't happen. And, you know, but truly like think about that and kind of think about it as trial and error. So Mike, I don't think that really answers your question because I haven't thought about it that much, but that would be some tips that I would just have if I was talking to someone in the teacher's lounge. So, so what do you see as some potential challenges that teachers may find themselves um, with when it comes to trying to purposefully um, integrate science illumination, um, when, particularly in this project or in your other experiences? What, what are some things that pop up that, that teachers see as challenges? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that we hear time and time again from teachers is materials. 
So, right, we never have enough money. Um, and so teachers need materials. So again, COVID was not an awesome thing, but one thing that it really did for us is that we had to be purposeful about the materials that teachers were using. Um, you know, I tested these labs in my kitchen with a spoon versus a quarter versus a, you know, whatever, and, and to see what worked best. So um, I think that's one thing. And so also teachers can believe in themselves that we don't have to have fancy schmancy equipment to be able to have our students engage in these labs. And again, it's all about, um, trying tiny, tiny pieces and flipping those little things in our curriculum. So maybe I don't have a microscope, but I can do this other part of the lab. Um, so going hand in hand of that with not having materials is that um, a lot of um, other teachers or people in their school do not see ag teachers as science teachers. And so they're less willing to either give them the materials that they need or share with them. Um, a lot of teachers who do have a microscope in their classroom only have one you know, but they have 25 or 30 students. Um, so that goes twofold, right? I don't have enough materials for my students, but if someone else doesn't believe I can do this, why should I believe I can do this? And so it goes back to teacher self-efficacy. Um, but again, I think that just goes hand in hand with try it, try it a little bit. Um, you know, anything that's lab-based or inquiry-based is scary for teachers, right? I am a control freak. Um, so giving my students, you know, time and space to do labs is, is scary. So again, just, just try it little by little, but yeah, I would say those are the two biggest things, um, that we hear from teachers across the board is I don't have the materials, you know, I don't have the money, um, going with that. A lot of times I don't have the space or other people don't believe I should be doing this. And with that, they're not going to let me borrow those things. What I heard there and what I heard in your response to Brian's question, as far as kind of what's that secret sauce for the curriculum development, you know, there's, there's no I in team, but there is in curriculum. Um, and how often, but how often do we sit in our classrooms in the summer and we're like, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to work on my curriculum and I'm going to do my thing. And like, I've got to get this done, but we don't back up to like, how do I really engage a team approach to this? How do I get feedback on this? How do I put this in front of other people to get it better faster. Like we say, oh, I've got to teach it. Like I've got to teach it three or four times before it gets there. Well, why do I have to do all the teaching on it? And where am I getting feedback from my students? Where am I getting feedback from other, from other teachers? Like when we talk about how do I like, how do I do this thing? Yep. I can make those small changes in the meantime and in my lessons, but really like when we talk about where's that secret sauce with our curriculum development, it kind of sounds like, well, we can't do it on our own and we can't just do it in our own little silo in our own little space. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would I would totally back that up, um, you know, reaching out to a community, whether that's another ag teacher or an administrator or, you know, reaching out to your science teacher and say, hey, I'm doing this. I want to do this. What are you already teaching in your class? And maybe show them, hey, we are teaching these things. Um, I was really lucky. All the schools that I taught at, I had really great science teachers that I was really good friends with. And so we were able to have those organic conversations, but I know that's not the way that it is. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely, you know, reach out and, and show it, um, show what you're doing. And I think when it comes to our students, you know, I said that anything that's inquiry or lab based is sometimes hard for teachers. It's also sometimes hard for our students, right? If they walk in your classroom one day and they're like, hold up, hold up, where's my textbook, right? Like it's gonna take a little bit of, of getting used to for everybody. Uh, and again, the, those words self-efficacy are so important. Like belief in ourselves as teachers, belief in our students, having our students believe in themselves and then really believing in that change. So um, when we talk about professional development, the change in teachers really happens when they see the change in their students, right? That's what completes the full circle. And so 
again, my advice would be to just try it in any way you can, you know, reach out. Um, and then once you see that in your students, that, that little piece, um, just keep it going how you can. I think the other thing you may be underselling with the, the curriculum piece is that, that idea that it was developed with both expert content experts and curriculum experts working together to do that. Yeah. And it was tested and modified and, and it was written in a way that said, here's a, here's a good starting point. Teacher, you make it your own. I think, and I, I think the lesson for, for all of us out there, hopefully is be very intentional about where we get our curriculum materials. And, and also your point, you start with a lesson or two, get, get those really good things for, for a few small, small spots, because so much that's out there right now, it's either you got to follow this exactly this particular way, say this particular thing at this particular time. And on day 47 of the school year, you got to be at this piece. It's so rigid. That's not, that's not going to work. Or it's like, here's a, here's a PowerPoint presentation, go with it. And I think, I think there's a lot to learn for teachers in selecting curriculum materials to help them out from what you did here for that, that middle group. And it shows the, the end goal, our students achieved. It helped the teachers out, probably lowered stress a little bit. And, the, and, the, and it worked. The students achieved high at a higher level to give them that kind of a resource. So I think that's something that's really, really important um, as well for our teachers in, in that idea. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I understand the struggle of finding, you know, finding curriculum and finding lesson plans and, and that we don't all have the privilege to sit down a lot of time and, and look for hours for these, you know, scientific based um, things. And, and so I, I hear that, but anytime we can find anything. And, and again, going back to kind of what Becky was saying, go outside our comfort zone, go ask a science teacher or a math teacher what lessons they have um, and try to take that lesson. So just like we were saying, we don't ever want to teach any lesson out of the box, but who says we can't use a math lesson plan, right? And then just switch words in um, or, or have a little bit of a math lesson before we go out to the shop or, you know, so on and so forth. But, um, you know, our free resources are great, right? We're teachers, we beg, borrow, we steal. That's how we get the, the thing done. Um, but anytime we can find something that's, you know, like, they, um, you know, I would say research-based in this case, but not always research-based, but, you know, like built by teachers with the idea of teachers with feedback from teachers. Um, that's of course going to be the ideal, you know, our end goal. So I know this particular thing we're talking about today focuses on student achievement and you told us the answers there, but from your, from your experience and talking to the teachers, what do they think? How, how did you know what was their what was their reaction in the three groups with the stuff that they got? Did they like it? They're like, oh my gosh, this is horrible, or this is the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. So you know, like I said, we, we heard different feedback. Um, I, I think it I think it came at a great time. For me, the perspective of a researcher, uh, it was not awesome trying to take data during COVID. But I think the teachers gobbled it up right? Like they had two weeks that they didn't have to worry about. It had everything that they could just go with. Um, so the teacher said they really loved it. And then there were some things, you know, we, like I said, they were full lesson plans, full units. So we had interest approaches to summary activities. And so those were some of the things that the teachers also said that their students really liked is, you know, we had this one summary activity that was about vocabulary and it's like a word pyramid. And teachers were like, that my students love that. And I was like, what? You know, so even some of that like surprised me. Um, but I think that's another great example of kind of going back to what Becky was saying, going outside our box and seeking um, teaching tools or teaching techniques that we can put into our classroom that maybe we've never seen before, right? So it can be those little things um, that make an impact to their students. 
We also heard that students really enjoyed doing the labs, which, you know, I think we've all heard that from students, right? Hands, ag is hands-on. That's what makes it so great. And so the students really loved that and being able to do that. Um, you know, I, of course, heard difficulty about timing. There were COVID outbreaks and snow days and all, all kinds of stuff. Um, but overall, I, I think it was really great. And so, um, you know, it it's something that is dear to my heart and that I see the importance in. Um, but really, we got not to pat myself on the back too much, but um, we got really great feedback about it, considering the time period that it was and how it all came about. Well, yes, go ahead and pat yourself on the back. It was great stuff. Thank you so much for sharing it. Um, I also want to make sure people know that that STEM It Up is a great resource, and hopefully you said applications for that will be, be coming out, be on the lookout for, for those sort of things. Either for those that aren't able to participate in STEM It Up for whatever reason, is there a way that they can access the those, those lesson plans and curriculum materials that you developed? So no, we do not actually share those openly, um, but I will say, again, we're ag teachers. If you know someone who participated in Sim It Up, I don't know, you might reach out to them. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to put my blinders on and think that it's it's not out there. Um, but um, yeah, Sim It Up is a, is a free program, um, so definitely apply. There's some things that we would like to do in the future and maybe do like Stim It Up snippets, so we're continuing to work on that. Um, but I'll go even further. If anybody is listening to this and says, hey, I really need a great thing on ethylene, email me. I think I would be happy to share something with you, right? Um, I don't want to be some like troll hoarding all these lesson plans, um, you know, but we really believe in our in our program and the whole idea that it is. Um, but I love sharing curriculum. I really do. So if anybody is listening to this, you can email me, um, Natalie Ferrand at Virginia Tech, and um, I would be happy to share anything with you. Did you notice that twice she says, if anyone is listening to this, I don't think she, <laughs> she thinks we have much of an audience is what she's saying. If anybody is actually listening to this this thing, then, the, then email me. The three people that I share it with, my mom, my sister, and my dad, then y'all. <laughs> so y'all can help us out by uh, filling up uh, Natalie's uh, inbox with yeah. email. Yep. <laughs> Let her know people listening. <laughs> no, Natalie, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you for doing your great work. Thank you for sharing it with, with us and everybody here on, on Alpelk, all the millions of listeners <laughs> that are listening to this to this podcast uh, for what's going on there. So thank you very much. Really in, enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for taking time to be with us here today on Alpellets. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Alpellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you, and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.